Welcome. We are gathered here today to celebrate, um, mourn, and rejoice in the, the life and death of Margaret Elizabeth Guthrie. Um, we thank you for coming with us, and I'd like to open the word of prayer. Lord God, and it's always such a bitter, sweet time when one of your saints dies. We know that Margaret is no longer um, in any pain. We know that she is with you, beholding your glory. And she, we know that when you return, she will be one of the host accompanying you. And yet, Lord, those of us who remain behind, we miss her. Um, we, we grieve, and that is right and fitting as well. So, Lord, as we rejoice for your grace in and through her, and as we rejoice for her promotion to glory, we, we mourn and we also grieve our loss, our sorrow. And so, Lord, we pray that you would sanctify that, that grief and that rejoicing, that it would be pleasing to you, and that your grace in and through Margaret would be seen clearly. Help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Margaret E. Guthrie, born December 6, 1927, and deceased January 16, 2018, was 90 years old of Norwalk, passed away Tuesday at Iowa Methodist Hospital. Margaret was born December 6, 1927, in Madison County, Iowa, to Clifford and Gertrude DeBach Harrell. She graduated from Winterset High School in 1946, and married Keith N. M. Guthrie, February 18, 1949, who preceded her in death in 1988. Margaret was a longtime member of Martinsdale Community Church. She retired from Northwest Bell Telephone Company in 1986 after 33 years of service. Margaret will be missed by her children, Kathy and Chuck Van Dyke, Bonnie Jones, and Tom Guthrie, and by her grandchildren, Erica and Wes Dethrow, Adam and Lindy Van Dyke, Ryan Jones, Megan and Nathan Jondal, Eric and Chrissy Jones, Stephanie Jones, Clayton and Carrie Guthrie, and Justin and Jessica Guthrie, along with 14 great-grandchildren. In lieu of flowers, memorial contributions may be directed to Martinsdale Community Church or the Norwalk Parks and Recreation Department. Margaret was the sixth of seven children born to Clifford and Gertrude DeBach Harrell. Delbert, Alma, Zelma, Clifford Jr., and Bob, who were all deceased. Her youngest sister, Jackie Delbert, lives in Winterset. When Margaret and Keith moved to Norwalk in 1955, they planted grapes and had a good-sized garden. She was still a farm girl at heart and liked to be outside. She loved to garden so she, um, so she could can vegetables and make grape juice. Hanging laundry on the clothesline was a pleasure for her, not a chore. Camping was a family adventure she enjoyed. It started with a tent and graduated to a pop-up trailer. She and Keith planned three big trips during the 60s, California for three weeks, New York and Florida for two weeks each. It was an amazing time to drive and see our country. After the kids left home and started their families, Margaret was always available to watch grandkids as needed. She enjoyed the grandkids for sure. 
Margaret was always dependable and humble. She could many times be found in the kitchen during family gatherings doing dishes rather than being the center of attention. Margaret was very involved with Camp Avenue's seasonal mailings. She had a number of ladies at her kitchen table getting everything ready until they outgrew her home and moved to the church facility. Margaret had busy for many years crocheting scarves and quilting for ministry projects. She and Linda Archer collaborated to sew bibs for nursing homes, having fun choosing colorful fabrics. Margaret also helped deliver meals on wheels. Every Monday and Thursday morning, she'd be at the Norwalk Park and rec for her exercise group at 10 a.m. And Thursday was a very busy day because there was a lunch in Martinsdale with friends. Margaret lived in the same house for 63 years. She was the last original resident, resident of the Center Street neighborhood that started in the 1950s. She saw Norwalk change in many ways over the years, but it was always good to know that her place stayed pretty much the same. Margaret asked Jesus to come into her heart in the fall of 1970. It was the most important decision of her life. She had the peace and joy of knowing that when she died, she was going to be in heaven with her Savior. She shared that joy with family and led many to Christ. What a blessing to be able to celebrate her life today. We are now going to hear some written testimonies and stories of her life and experiences with her by Chuck Van Dyke. Well, he'll be reading them, but they're collaborated from the family. Thank you, Pastor. This is on, I take it. Can you all hear me? Pastor said, I'm Chuck Van Dyke, and I am married to Margaret's oldest daughter, Kathy. And we are so thankful that all of you came today and could attend this celebration of Margaret's life. And I think Kathy and Tom and Bonnie decided that a celebration of Margaret's life would not be uh, complete without some fun stories. Some of these are funny stories. Some of these are some really good memories she created for grandkids and great-grandkids and kids. So those of you that know Margaret know that she had a pretty interesting sense of humor. Um, she could be a real hoot sometimes. Sometimes she intended to, and sometimes it just happened. So <laughs> in, that, in that kind of context, then, let me read you what, and, and you know, these, these have come in, and, and I've tried to put them together and organize them. If they're not very organized and you have questions later, ask Kathy and Tom and Bonnie what that really meant. So um, it's, it's my privilege. She was a classy lady, as you all know, and uh, uh, we are privileged to be able to celebrate and to commemorate some of these things. So these are in no particular order, and I will, uh, I will identify who sent it, but um, I won't make them stand up. First one on my sheet is actually from Justin and Clayton. They are grandsons, and it's interesting. One of their memories was the same memory, and they didn't collaborate, I don't believe, as, as they sent this. But one Christmas back in the 90s, Dad got us a go-kart. Grandma was driving the thing up and down Center Street like she was one of the kids. She said it was like a Model T. <laughs> Here's another grandson, Adam. Adam Van Dyke. Adam says, I remember her letting us stand up in her car and stick our heads out the sunroof. Thought that was so cool. Then I believe she put, some, she put that same light blue Buick in the ditch. Something about tomatoes in that story as well. We were not in the car at the time, thankfully. <laughs> and hang on to that thought because there's more detail in the car in the ditch coming up here. This one's from Bonnie. Bonnie's her daughter, obviously. 
says, she was such a good sport and was always there to lend a hand. We were out showing cattle in the state fair and needed help leading heifers from the tieouts to the barn. Well, mom's calf was in a hurry, but mom didn't let go, and instead she just had the calf going in circles all the way down the hill while wearing sandals. So, <laughs> Margaret the farm girl. This one's uh, from Jaden Van Dyke. Jaden is a great-grandson. Um, his comment was she just had a really great sense of humor, which made her really easy to talk to. Awesome. This one's from Grace Deathrow. Grace is a great-granddaughter. It says, I remember when we were at the state fair this year with Grandma Guthrie and Grandma Kathy. Um, Brian and myself, Brian is uh, Grace's boyfriend. Brian and myself, we decided to eat lunch at Diamond Jack's. Both grandmas were going to split, uh, were going to go split a tenderloin. Well, Grandma Kathy went to cut it in half, and Grandma Guthrie looked at it like, do you really think I'm going to eat all of that? Well, guess what? She did. <laughs> this was from Kathy, Kathy Van Dyke, Kathy, her daughter. Kathy says, there's so many stories to share, but one of my favorites is the time Mom had been at Bonnie's place west of Norwalk and was heading home on a late summer's day. She was on a gravel road west of Norwalk and for some reason got off on the shoulder, overcorrected, and ended up in the ditch. Um, someone stopped and called for help, and a response team came to help her get out of the car. They said she had blood on her, but Mom said she was just fine. Well, they put her in an ambulance anyway. The blood turned out to be the smashed tomatoes that she had in the front <laughs> seat next to her. Really, she was fine. I assume the tomatoes came from Bonnie's house. That's a good one. Here's one from Tom. Tom's obviously her son. It says, I remember when mom wanted me to come and move into her house. She was pretty adamant about Ruka the Chihuahua not moving in as well. <laughs> it didn't take long for that little dog to work her way into mom's big heart. She would feed that little girl off her plate, tell Bonnie to do the same. Mom would always scold the grandkids for teasing her dog. She scolded me, too. Um, <laughs> When mom would be sitting in her chair, Ruka would always be by her side. It didn't take long for Ruka to become grandma's dog. And that's true. Um, this one's from Erica Deathrow. Erica is a granddaughter, Erica Van Dyke Deathrow. Um, Erica says, recently at her 90th birthday party, and a number of you were there, I know, and we have talked as a family. What an what a awesome deal that was to have a 90th birthday party for her in December. She had a great time, and I know everybody was there had a great time, and then, you know, Little did we know here we were going to be a month or two later, but this is a story from her 90th birthday party. Erica says, I was sitting with her looking at pictures that Tom had put together for the video. One came up of her holding Bonnie as a baby, and I said, Grandma, I told Grandma she didn't look very happy in that picture. Grandma says, very seriously, by the way, it's because she, Bonnie, cried all the time. <laughs> in fact, she didn't shut up for a year. <laughs> You can ask Bonnie about that later, but... And Erica says, I laughed so hard because she was so serious about it. <laughs> Erica also added things she remembers from visiting her house as a kid. She says, I loved going upstairs to sleep. That attic was so cool. Grandma had lots of things stashed up there to look through. Plus, it smelled like Grandma and Grandpa in a good way. <laughs> I hated having to go downstairs in the basement to shower. It was kind of creepy. They had a party line on her telephone, which would lead Grandma to talk about her days as a telephone operator. Grandma always had cool jewelry to go through in her room. 
Grandma loved the Hawkeyes, and being around her to listen to her reaction while watching a game was priceless. Um, the bathroom by the bedrooms had a hole in the floor for the closet laundry chute, and we would try to scare whoever, Grandma, that was down there doing laundry by throwing things at her or just spying on them. <laughs> and then the last memory Erica had was the other bathroom always had an atlas in it. So you... Uh, here's, here's one from Lane Dethrow. Lane is a great-granddaughter. It says, I remember being in her house for a get-together a few years ago. I sat at the table, watched her grab a piece of some type of dessert a person had made and wanted her to try. And I watched her bite into it, and she made the most disgusted face. She immediately spit it out into a napkin close by. She looked around to see if anyone had noticed. She saw me watching. She casually leaned over and whispered, do not eat that. It's absolutely terrible. <laughs> then she was, just walked into the living room with a little wry smile on her face. That was Margaret. Uh, another one from Adam, her grandson, says, I also remember getting a gift at Christmas from Grandma that was three eyes that you hung on a wall. It was a walleye. <laughs> she could have made that. I'm not sure. Thanks, Grandma. She thought it was pretty funny, she said. Clayton Guthrie, grandson, added, she was a big part of me getting into woodworking. I remember going down to the basement and using the bandsaw at eight or nine years old. And those of you that knew Keith know he had all these tools, and then when Keith passed away, they were in the basement, and Clayton picked up, and I think he even has that bandsaw today, maybe, so awesome story. A few more, and then I'm about done. Um, Justin Guthrie, grandson, he says, one that always sticks with me is bird watching from the living room with her binoculars and her book of birds. Her yard was always plentiful with birds with the purple martin house and the bird and the hummingbird feeders she always had out. I still to this day spot a bird that I normally wouldn't have a clue what it is and go back to those days. Um, and then another thing Justin had, one thing I'll surely never forget is coming over for chicken and dumplings. Justin ended up as a chef, so maybe that was why, huh? Um, here's one from Eric Jones, grandson. Eric says, I was shocked and in awe when I caught Grandma shooting at rabbits in her backyard <laughs> with her BB gun. Another one from Bonnie. Bonnie says, I would not have been able to keep a job without Mom's help. Said the school must have had her number on speed dial for my kids. I remember her telling me that she had to retrieve a bull snake from a locker that the twins had took to show and tell. Again, stick around afterwards, and, and, and you can ask more questions on these. Here's one from Megan, Megan Jondo. Megan's a granddaughter. And I remember this one. It says, out on the farm, we had a powerful livestock blower. It was like a giant hairdryer thing that you used for cattle, um, used for show cattle. And for entertainment, we would put it near our faces, which would make your cheeks flat. You know, you'd stick it up, and it'd make, you know, some of you have done that, I can tell. Well, Grandma took a turn, and she looked like a dog with its head out the window. Her, ch her cheek was just flapping, and she had a ball. She had a ball. Okay, one last story, and this one is mine. Um, there's a lot of them, but I thought, which one should I tell? Um, a few years ago, I was bringing her home from someplace. I'm not sure where. Turned there by Casey's post office. I believe that's Cherry, where you go south end. And you come to the intersection in Norwalk of Cherry and North Avenue, and there's a stop sign by the school. And my tendency is to always go straight, 
and then go down to maybe Elm and then turn over to center and go down. Well, she proceeds to tell me that that is not the way she goes and, and sort of implied that that was really a crazy way to go because if you turned on North Avenue and hit Center Street, there were no stop signs. The way I went had one stop sign and that just, for whatever reason, that was not something Margaret thought I should do. Well, over the years, I've, it, several times, I've taken her to that same place, and I kind of messed with her a time or two and went straight on purpose. She always said, Chuck, you should have turned here and go down Center Street. <laughs> um, you know, and this morning, Kathy and I came out, and I purposely turned on North Avenue and went down Center Street in, in memory of Margaret. And, you know, Margaret was an absolute great lady, and we are very honored to be able to celebrate her life today as family and friends, and thank you so much for letting me share some of these. To take a moment now to uh, read a passage from the Bible in an attempt to help frame, interpret, better understand what it is we're doing here. We're celebrating a life, but we're doing more than that, at least I, I hope most of us are, because um, I do not believe that, that existence ends with death, and as Christians, we believe that Margaret is somewhere right at this very moment. And the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians a passage to help the Thessalonian church understand what's going on. There is something um, wrong about death. It truly is, and we can say it's natural, but there's a reason why every one of us avoids thinking about it, and yet every single one of us is headed for a service, something like this, give or take, but we don't think about it that much, because it scares us, it's unsettling, and in the first century, um, there was high expectations among the early churches, the Christians, that Jesus would be returning soon. And so there's some confusion over the delay, especially as Christians died. So the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 16, to confused Christians, trying to make sense of this delay and trying to make sense of those who have died already as they waited. And he writes this, We do not want you to be uninformed brothers, but those who are asleep, and by asleep he means dead. So we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's a lot going on. I just want to look at two points. I want to jump on and just talk about for a few moments. The first is Paul instructs us that we are not to grieve for Margaret as those without hope. What does that mean? Well, Paul is assuming that everyone outside of Christ, that everyone outside of the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ has no hope. And I think that's true. Um, if you're a secularist, then death is the end, absolutely. 
The universe doesn't care. The universe will go on. And even though those who are left behind may remember you, they'll die, and eventually your memory will be erased. You're a secularist. There is no hope in death, none whatsoever. It's the end, full stop, period. However, that's a convenient improvement. That's a convenient lie because the reality actually biblically is that there's judgment coming at death, not nothing. Listen, listen to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 describe every single one of us before coming to Christ. And if you're outside of Christ, if you're not a Christian, this is you today now. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's, that's us. Death, in fact, is the ultimate reminder and proof that we are broken, that we are sinful, that something is wrong. The wages of sin is death. God's original plan for creation did not involve death. And so every time you go to a funeral, every time you read an obituary, know with certainty that we are a sinful race and that just as I and you are headed to death, that death that we are facing, every one of us, just at different degrees, different lengths, is the proof that we are sinful, that we... We are not good people who try hard but make mistakes, but we are thoroughly, through and through, bad people. We do what we want. We arrange our own lives. We serve our own desires. We serve our own interests. We do not live lives of thankfulness to a God who made us. And so we're facing death, and consequently, the world has no hope. The best good news the world can offer is that death is nothing, that death ends everything. The reality is a judgment is coming. A judgment for sin. For this reason, the apostle writes in Hebrews that the entire race is held captive to slavery, to fear of death. And we can pretty this up. We can bring in flowers. We can sing nice songs. But at the end of the day, there is something awful and fearful and tragic in death. The Bible amends that. And for those outside of Christ, there is no hope. But the good news, the apostle says, is he does not want us to grieve Christians who have died as those without no hope. So that's, that's the bad news. That as much as we want to sanitize and pretty this up, this is awful. Someone we loved is gone. We're not going to see them again in this world. We're not going to hear stories or jokes. We miss them. Something awful has happened. Now the good news. We are not to grieve for Margaret as those without hope because Margaret has believed that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring her with him. Now, that's what he says. We do not want you to grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It's an amazing statement. What Paul does is he ties our hope, the hope for Margaret's resurrection, and eternal life, directly to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let me read that again. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, or in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And he goes on to describe exactly what he means. And so Margaret's hope 
of resurrection and life, your and my hope of resurrection and life, is directly tied to Jesus' death and resurrection. So I think it takes worth a moment to consider what does that mean? Why did Jesus die? This, this one man from the Middle East, never led an army, never held a political office, changed the world. We, we, we date our calendar year from his birth. And this man, we believe, the Bible declares, is the son of God. Not just a good teacher, not just a wise man, not a prophet, but the very son of God. God incarnate, that God has entered into this world. This is the good news of the gospel, that what we couldn't do by ourselves, we, we can't polish ourselves up enough. God has taken the initiative. God sent his son into the world. And this sinless, righteous son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes and he dies. And he dies a substitutionary death. Why does Jesus die? So that you and I don't have to. Oh, sure, we still may have funerals if the Lord tarries. But we escape the second death. We escape the judgment on sin. Jesus on the cross receives the penalty for your and my sin. And he dies. But because he is the Son of God, because he is righteous and sinless, he, he, he rose again three days later to prove his claim. It's easy to say you're the Son of God. It's easy to claim you're somebody. But when you predict your own resurrection and it occurs, it's been vindicated. It's been validated. And this is part of why in the first century the gospel spread like wildfire because you still had actually living witnesses to the resurrection. So Jesus dies for Margaret's sin, for my sin. He rises again to prove as part of the resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee that God, just as he raised Jesus to life, will not let us die but raise us to life with him. So here's the proof. Here's the prototype. The guarantee. And not only this, Jesus died for sin, Jesus rose again, but Jesus is coming again, and the amazing news is he's coming with Margaret. That's what he says. Listen. <laughs> for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Jesus, when he returns, is coming with his church. He's coming with his bride. He's coming with all those in Christ who have died and gone ahead of us including Margaret. The next time you see Margaret may be at the Lord's return. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command to the voice of an archangel with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And this is a message of hope. The Christian gospel, the Bible, teaches that death is not the end. Either way, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, death is not the end. That you and I will never not be. Think about that. You and I, according to the Bible, will never not be. The only question is where will we never not be? It's a weighty issue. It's a weighty issue. And Paul declares that how we have this hope is through faith, through faith in Jesus. Listen, for since we believe Jesus died and rose again, what makes a Christian a Christian is that they live a nice moral life? No. They go to church? No. They read their Bible? No. 
Those are all good things. And I believe that people filled by God's Spirit will do those things. We are united to Christ through faith. God has offered in, in giving his son that if you will turn from whatever it is you're building your life on, turn from whatever it is you've made God of your life, and make no mistake, we, we're all serving somebody. You have a principle, a value that is supreme in your life, that is your God. And you turn from that, you turn to Jesus, you trust him, you put your trust in him. You're my God, you're my Savior, I'm trusting in you. Paul says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. This is, this is why we're celebrating and not just mourning for Margaret. But it's also why you can have hope. You don't have to be terrified of death. You don't have to be filled with fear of coming to an end. You can be united and joined to Christ. You can return with him as well. This is good news. Remember, Paul is assuming again that there's two categories. There's those in the world who have no hope, and there's Christians who have hope. And God is offering to you and to me, while he tarries, while you yet live, this message of hope. So I know it would be Margaret's greatest desire, if you're not in Christ today, that you would turn to him, put your faith and trust in him, that you would be identified so with his death and resurrection, that yet though you die, you too will be raised. You too will have life with him. We, we miss her, and yet we rejoice. And we know that she is with the Lord and will return with him. And let me close in a word of prayer. Oh, Lord God, you are good and you do good. You were good to give us so many years with Margaret. And you were good even as you have taken her home. You do nothing but good, and we thank you for that grace. We miss her. We sense the loss, and yet we are filled with joy as we contemplate her joy, and that we will see her again, that she will come with you in the clouds, with your church, with your bride. Well, Lord God, um, I pray that your word would produce faith and hope in us, that we might not be those without hope in the world, but that we might, through faith in your Son, share in his death and share in his life. Lord God, help us to cherish memory in our hearts and help us to, to leave here contemplating these things and the, the amazing gospel that you have provided for us that we might not taste the final death but to share in life. In Jesus' name, amen.